what's good? What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another installment of Foursquare Presents After Hours. We appreciate y'all rocking with us as always. It's your boy, Alex. And it's your boy, Lucas. And as always, it's your boy, Jeff. And today we will be talking about mental health and stigmas around mental health amongst men and women. And we'll be tying that also into sports. And today we have a very special guest. Um, Y'all have heard me refer to the phrase, uh, I love my wife, and uh, she's actually here. (laughs) And she's here bestowing us with her presence uh, as she has expertise. Yes, I do. I do very much, Lucas. Um, So, yes, I will be introducing Aaron Kimball today. Aaron, thank you for joining us. Aaron has a master's in school psychology from the school known as Cal State University of Los Angeles. She has a bachelor's in psychology from the world-renowned number one HBCU in the world, Spelman College. And she's gonna uh, she's gonna bless us with her knowledge and expertise. So, Aaron, thank you very much for joining us on the show today. E, thank you for being here, Aaron. We yeah, thanks you. for having me. Yeah, thank you for that intro. I'm going through my whole education history. Appreciate that. Hard <laughs> for those degrees. Um, but yeah, I um, am a practicing school psychologist. I currently work at a middle school, and um, I just finished my first year, and it's. It's been a journey, uh, to say the least, but I definitely learned a lot. Um, but I'll start with just my interest in psychology and how I kind of got exposed was in high school. Um, it's something that I had a huge interest in, and it felt a little bit easy to me. Like I was grasping the concepts right away, so I loved that for myself. Um, studied at Spelman, fell in love with it even more, and then upon my graduation from Spelman, I found school psychology and. Yeah, and went to graduate school. Um, And so school psychology specifically is basically kind of intersects psychology and education, which I really love. Um, And I love working with students. And primarily my role in the school system is working with students in special education. And I complete assessments for them to see if they continue to qualify for special education, as well as um, I do the counseling services for some students. Um, help with crises that come up um, every day. Um, and so those are kind of just some of my my job roles. But um, yeah. That's I feel bit. like I feel like dealing with a bunch of middle schoolers, you get a lot of crises. It's a very like uh, middle critical. Are, it's a very critical it? point in development right there. We all remember how we were in middle school and all the crap that we saw. I choose not to. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, I choose to erase it from your memory. I blocked that out. It was not a great time. <laughs> <laughs> This school is tough. I think people underestimate like puberty. Um, just the transition from elementary to middle school can be a lot for students. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of, you know, mental health stuff that's going on. You know, these kids are or were in third, fourth, and fifth grade during the pandemic. You know, so also thinking mm-hmm. about how they grew up during that time, how it's impacted them, how it's impacted their social skills, their ability to interact with other students, all those components. Um, and just kind of getting back into the swing of what being in at in-person school feels like, you know? So there's definitely a lot going on for this generation of students, but middle school in general is just hard for everybody. Um, So we're going through it. Well, speaking on, you know, the pandemic and the kids getting, you know, used to being in person again, what's some of the struggles that you've seen personally that students have adjusting to be in physical school again? Yeah, um, that's a great question. Uh, I've seen a lot of anxiety, unfortunately. I think that 
Um, some of my students struggle so much with feeling anxious where they don't have any coping strategies to kind of help mitigate those feelings to a point where they aren't coming to school at all. They come to school, they can't go to class. Um, they aren't able to do their homework. Um, so it's having a, a real significant impact on them and their functioning on a day-to-day basis, as well as their educational performance, right? Because if you're not in school, you're not in class, then you're not learning anything. Um, and so that's just impacted their ability to make educational progress. And so some of those students have qualified for special education because they aren't able to access their education because of their social, emotional, and mental health issues, where it's become an area of concern where they need more support versus just letting them kind of go through the motions, you know? So, but it's definitely having a significant impact on students in general, whether or not they have special education services or not. I get you. I mean, I imagine it's a huge like change coming going from like basically being in a bubble to being in an ocean. Mm-hmm. That, that's stressful. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think some students have been able to adapt. I think that they were fortunate enough to have some protective, you know, protective factors that helped them to survive during that time while other students didn't, you know, and some students are just more resilient than others. Um, And so it really, nobody knows how this is going to continue to impact students. Nobody knows how it's going to impact the babies that grew up during the pandemic and how that's going to, you know, eventually have an impact on them. But I think in general, all of us have to be mindful of how we coped with that time and how we're still coping mm-hmm. and how it can impact everyone's mental health in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. I have, um, a, I have a hard-hitting question. Uh, a hard-hitting question will be, so one thing that I do recognize in the wave, in the light of where we are in 2023, where a lot of people are now feeling more comfortable to be able to come out and be outspoken about like their mental health and acknowledging that mental health is a key component of life and something that does need to be addressed. And mm-hmm. so, but unfortunately, one thing that I, I would say that that could be talked about is that sometimes when people are now having the courage to now speak out about it, they're now people that unfortunately are on the social media trend. They're just trying to follow the wave of just, I have mental health too, or me, like, like trying to be on a me too movement of mental health. And so I wanted to ask Aaron, like when it comes to, you know, watching and listening these to these kids, mm-hmm. what percentage of it is like, this is real or what percentage of it is, you know, like, like, are you just trying to just follow the wave? Yeah. Um, it's a good question. Um, and it kind of stems from like, we have this software on all the Chromebooks for students where uh, it monitors everything they type on the computer and so basically there are times when students like say like they type kms which i think stands for kill myself right um and so there are students that do type those things because they're feeling just they're you know they for whatever reason they're typing it right and so typically we get an alert as a response to that and so i do check in with those students and say hey you know how's it going how are you things like that um, and usually sometimes students tell me, oh, I was joking. I knew you were going to call me in here. You know, they know that we monitor what they type. Um, some students say, oh, it was a joke. I thought it was funny. Um, some students 
that I'm just stressed. I was exaggerating. I like the boy. He doesn't like me. You know, all the middle school things, right? But those things I have to check in on because that's my due diligence as a provider, right? And then there are some students where they do have severe mental health. And so it's my job to check in with all of those students or the counselors checking with all those students regardless because we've been notified, we've been flagged, that there's a concern. And then my job to follow up is to sift through and talk to the students and to figure out, okay, who's in distress and who's just joking or who, you know, um, because it does happen both ways. And the students that are joking or whatever, and I remind them like, hey, there are some students that really do want to kill themselves. They do have suicidal ideation. It's not something to joke about. It's something to take seriously. And I remind them to use their words appropriately because you can feel stressed. It doesn't mean you're going to kill yourself yeah. or you want you know, things like that. So I think it's also just teaching students how to best um, express themselves for what they are feeling. So it's not to minimize their feelings, but there is a little bit of exaggeration that can be used. So those kinds of words are thrown around. Oh, no, but absolutely. I remember, I remember like the growing pains of like understanding, like both naturally being told like how to like, you know, understand the gravity of your words. Like you can't just tell somebody like when you're, when you're having an argument, it's like, ah, man, shut up. I'm gonna kill you right now. Like that, like your words have gravity and like, it's, it's very, like what you're doing is extremely important. Like helping them understand that difference because like one, it could get them in trouble, but two, it's like, you know, you it, just learning mindfulness in general, that it's like a transferable skill. You learn that mindfulness now and you grow with it in the back of your head. And I feel like actually, I don't know if this is like true. You can uh, tell me, like you can correct me on this or not, but like we, we had the same things when we were in middle school where like people just did not have the gravity of like understanding the words. They would just, they would curse. They would say whatever they wanted because that was, that was how it was, you know, that was cool. That was like a very adultish, but I feel like a bunch of like COVID bubble babies um, are growing up. Like they're so invested in like what social media and the internet that they're even less, like they're even more desensitized and less in tune with the outside world than before. And so like, you know, their world is the internet and for the internet that is like the common place. And I feel like just, you know, getting them more like reacclimated to that aspect is more of a, a hurdle than before the, like, the pandemic happened. Yeah, I only bring this question up because I, I, I do remember at times in, in high school and in middle school where like some kids who genuinely needed help. And then there were people who would just capitalize on it and be like, yeah, I need help, too. And I'm like, like, are, are you sh like? And it's not like, like, and I guess, I, I guess I, I do have to also be careful with my words and say, like, not say, are you sure? But it's just like, like, okay, but like, what is it? Try to like investigate further because like there is, I don't think you guys were, no, you guys were, you guys were at the, at the middle school when it happened. Um, there was a girl that I knew. She, she was at the middle school in seventh grade, but then she moved in eighth grade. But she, there was a rumor that she had killed herself. and everybody reacted and it was a girl that was i guess more or less popular but like when she moved and she was you know i even try to like speak to her try to like you know try to talk her off the ledge if so to speak but like and then when we all thought that she killed herself like i broke down like crying in class and then literally during lunchtime found out that she was still alive and she was like oh it was just a prank like haha and we were just like what and that pissed everybody mm. off like like nobody speaks to her now because mm. it was just like yo like like you can't joke like that especially if you're trying to go through those lengths of like 
I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to take it serious. And so yeah. that's why I asked, like, you know, what, where is the, where is the line when it comes to that? And I think that that's something that can, I can imagine it become frustrating for you, Aaron, for the kids who are coming in, making a joke out of it, as opposed to the kids who genuinely need help. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, in my training, um, crisis is a part of the job, you know? And so I, have to remain calm and, you know, try to mitigate the situation as best I can, right? So I meet with the student and try to figure out, okay, what's going on, right? And then I have to, based on the information I gather, make decisions moving forward how to best support the student, you know? Um, but it can be um, nerve-wracking in the sense of like, oh, there's a crisis, I have to help, how can I help, you know? And sometimes I'm in the middle of a meeting or I'm in the middle of other things and I do have to stop what I'm doing to attend to the crisis because that is of utmost concern, you know? Um, but yeah, it's not to be taken lightly. You know, I definitely have some students with very significant uh, mental health and, you know, required me to call the mental health evaluation team for from the police department that works with the police department. And, you know, those students have to be, um, you know, transported to a hospital, you know, like those things are very real, very, very real part of my um, role. And it, mental health is serious. You know, I mean, it's a part of our daily lives. And I think people underestimate it when they're not in crisis, when they're not in distress. But um, it's something that we're constantly dealing with on an hour to hour, day to day basis. Um, And I think unless you're like really dealing with something, supposedly, you're not aware that your mental health is as important as it is. Yeah, I think when it comes to that, people just need to understand certain things. Um, now, Lucas, remember that theory of knowledge class that we had? Oh, do I remember? That was a great so, class. I think you were in my group with this, and the topic we had was, uh, I believe it was understanding. I think it became the two parts of it, and it was uh, comprehensive understanding and was this experience-based like- understanding. Was this like the the two like the two pair group projects that we yeah. presented on? No, see, I was in I was in imagination, like the different kinds of knowing. There was that, and then there was oh, us talking okay. about under, maybe that was part of it. Okay, but what I was getting at was, you know, there's comprehensive understanding, which is kind of like empathy that we came up with was, you know, you mentally putting yourself in those shoes, like okay, I don't know what it's like to have my father dead. So, but I've seen people who have had their father die and they look sad. So comprehensively, empathetically, I can see those emotions tied to that. Yeah. So I can understand that when something like that happens, that's probably what I'll end up being like. However, as simpish as this would say, I've had my heart broken before. So I know experience based what that feels like to go yeah. through something like that. I can actually comprehend the emotions. Because I've lived through it, yeah. So, if you just have the empathetic or the comprehensive understanding, you probably won't understand fully understand that actual experience until you go through it yourself into the emotions and have your emotions be in that situation. Yeah, and like empathy, I remember this now. Like empathy also like it dives into like not just like being able to like understand like how would I feel if someone told me this or how would I feel if I lost a loved one kind of thing. It's also just like the idea of like, you know, it's community, community understanding. There's a lot of like selfish ideas that like people think like this has nothing to do with me. Uh, this is their problem. But the problem is like you would want them is the golden rules do unto others. You would want people to treat you a certain way. 
and you should be able to treat them that same way. You should be able to understand their pain, even if you've never been through it. You should like, you know, at the bare minimum, understand I wouldn't want to go through that. Mm-hmm. So why should I put someone else through that? And it's, it's the a- idea is the idea instead of like, you know, bringing people down to make yourself feel better, it's lifting mm-hmm. other people up so they can lift you up as well. It's the level it's 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 Lucas, I think it's just the level of of ignorance that people just refuse to shake out of themselves. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think that if for for one, if you're one to be ignorant, then you have no capacity to empathize because you're not even trying to see it from somebody else's perspective. Mm-hmm. And so that can be tied into mental health that can be tied into race that can be tied into ethnicity somebody who has the inability to try to relate in any capacity what somebody else is going through because what their experience is is different from yours and i think that 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 is the bigger issue that that needs to be addressed is that you know you know where i really see a lot of that like lack of um like pure inability to understand a lot of that with like um with things like ADHD, neurodivergence, like that, I it's it's funny to see somebody who like do who doesn't have it, who doesn't understand it, and like they try to like they try to talk to you, you try to talk to them and explain what's going through your mind, and they just look at you like you're crazy. Like you tell them it's like it's like oh it's like oh why aren't you paying attention? Like why can't you get this done? It's like I I can't like I'm having trouble. I like because of these reasons, and it's like just pay attention more, just you know make it a priority, and it's like. First of all, do you think if it was that easy, I would have this problem still? But second of all, it's like I understand you don't under like you probably don't have the ability to comprehend because your brain just doesn't work this way. Mm-hmm. But right. like you know, not once does do people even take a step back and think, "Hmm, I don't understand this. Why should I act like I do? Why should I act like I know more than this person does?" Right. And I think, too, what people also fail to recognize is that some of these things just don't come naturally to everybody. Some of these things, they have to be taught. Right. And I think part of my role, too, is also trying to address some of the concerns that students have is that is it a performance deficit or is it a skill deficit? Right. Some students know how to do things. They're just not doing it. Right. Versus some students don't know how to do it at all. And therefore we have to teach them, right? Mm-hmm. And then even when it comes to just social interaction, some students don't know how to just operate socially in a way that feels comfortable to them, in a way that feels socially appropriate. They just don't know how and therefore they have to be taught. And so I think it's just mm-hmm. also stepping outside of yourself and recognizing that I'm me and I learned how to do this by being observant. Everybody is not observant. Everyone doesn't learn by by watching. Some people have to literally be taught step by step how to do things. And I think that's also where it comes from, um, that people just don't understand that. That it can be a skill deficit or a performance deficit. Yeah. You have no idea what people are going through. Like it if it always kind of upset me that people would just dis- disregard people's struggles as oh, they're just not as smart or they're just not capable of it but it's like you know the idea you know you don't know how smart they really are because you're not taking the time to understand them like i remember my mom like told me at a young age that one of the most important things cuz she was a teacher for a while and she told me one of the important things that she found was it had nothing to do with like you know knowing how smart someone is or how capable they are it a lot of it came to if you believe in them like that having faith like as a teacher or as a, as a peer, as a parent, whatever, having faith in someone that can do something, it, it moves mountains because there was a case that 
I don't remember the exact details. Like it was told to me a while ago, where this kid, like he took like took like his college entrance exams and like SATs and whatever, and he likes just like stellar scores across the board. Like this man, he had like his access to any college he wanted to, and he did. He went to college, he got good grades, and he went off to be an incredibly successful. Um, um, I can't remember what his uh, line of work was, but he made he was making millions of dollars. But the problem was. At one point, someone went back and realized that there was an error in the testing. The answers like were switched. There was like there was like a clerical error, and actually, he didn't do well on his scores. He actually like he actually got much lower scores. But the problem was he believed that he was so good, and he took that faith in himself and the faith that others put in him, and he just he he soared. So well, it's, it, it, it's it's one thing to have the the confidence because some people. Some people, like you're right, some people have the ability to just ride that wave of confidence and they can just take off mm-hmm. and they, you can't tell anybody else. But there are some people who genuinely need just the time and the care and the patience and, and the resources from people like Aaron or, or, or counselors or teachers to stay with them and help and help the kid. Because at the end of the day, there, there's... I try to say this and not say it like too heavily. There's not much difference between a valedictorian and somebody who graduated with a 2.0 GPA. If you're just looking at the idea of you're just trying to graduate, it doesn't matter how fast or whatever. Like if you graduate at early age, whatever, you're supposed to just graduate. Some people literally just need extra help. And it's okay for people to just need extra help. But I think what comes to it is that the person who needs extra help has so many so many lingering factors along with just test scores which is you know problems at home like i know that aaron has shared stories with like a lot of these kids like a lot of the issues they face it's not even on them it's the fact that they have crap going on at home that's hindering them from being able to perform well at school and be able to just live their own lives because they're they're put in this position where they have to take on so many other responsibilities at such a young age mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. But I think we also need to keep in mind that school is still a standardized institution. Mm-hmm. You know, they put these standards in place to have these kids follow this saying, okay, once they follow this standard, they'll be ready for the next grade, next grade, college or whatever. So not that schools can't do a better job and we should advocate for that, but let's also not get our expectations up to the point that it's unrealistic for the school to do a certain thing to help those kids succeed. If that makes sense, no, it like, is okay. No, the, yeah, that that that's definitely. I, I will always, I will always be an advocate of challenging the school because, like, a lot of times, like, it, it generally is up to the school to put in the resource and the effort. And unfortunately, that's where it comes to the disparity of high economic school districts as far as low economic school districts where they just don't have the funding and the ability or the amplitude to just mm-hmm. say here, like mm-hmm. here's more more funding, more salary, more resources. And that's why you see people switch to, you know, the higher school. Because, I mean, even even in our district, guys, like we knew the schools who were not the best school just because of just the neighborhood that they were in. And we knew the schools who were just the top quality, the top tier because of where they were in. So I'm pretty, I can imagine like, I mean, you know, 
I don't think it was a coincidence. I don't think it was a coincidence that some of these schools like like Walton or like North Cobb or anything. I wasn't gonna name drop schools, but you know, I'm name dropping. I'm name dropping. (laughs) Like, cause, cause, like, I don't know. I just I noticed that like all these schools were like were like were placed in like very like wealthy areas or like like areas that were like not um, surrounded or like nearby poor neighborhoods, and I think that was just an idea of their promote. Like some schools are just promoting their own academic excellence by hand, like cherry picking what students they want. And I remember like along the lines of what you just said, like what's the real difference between a valedictorian and someone with a 2.0 GPA? Sometimes that difference is, you know, did they have like the money for tutoring? Like it could be something as simple as that. Cause I mean, you have, you never know what, what's, what's hindering them from being a valedictorian. And the question you want to ask also is based on the standardized uh, education system that Jeff mentioned is you get the valedictorian who had like a 4.7 GPA or whatever. And you got this 2.0 GPA. Ask them both what all they really remember from their school. Because then you got a question as like, did you become valedictorian because you actually learned this stuff and understood it and grasped it? Or because you were really, really good at reading a textbook and remembering the exam? Or you're just really good at taking tests? There are some people, Aaron, I know that there are some people who have this borderline scary ability to just have that photographic just okay i'm reading it got it yeah and that's it and i'm like nothing i had to read something <clears> seven <throat> times before i even process it in my brain to yeah. read something seven times and then practice it and then do some quizzes and then i could tell you okay i got it now but that was you my just thing. But take a snapshot be, yeah they and then you a snapshot to get that answer for the test you mm-hmm. doing that extra work not only do you not only did you read it and get it, but now you understand it. And for you to really understand something, you have to be able to teach it to somebody. And I bet going through all of that, you could have sat down with someone and actually verbatim understood and teach them what you're learning. Whereas definitely with photogenic, mem- I mean photographic memory, they just remember what that thing says. There were some I teachers- really doubt that they can actually tell you and, and like break it down and analyze it for you. There were a lot of there. There was a, a even split of teachers in like middle school and high school that they taught you material, and there are some that helped you learn material. Like that, you like there are classes that I remember everything they taught me like word for word. And there's some classes I don't remember anything. Like I remember Mr. Donovan's his, like history class. I don't remember Mr. Pritchett's history class. I remember Dr. Khan's math teaching because he was an excellent teacher. I don't remember any other one. Like it was it was so much. It was and a lot of it has to do with like attention to your students, paying attention to their struggles, paying attention to their needs, their individual. Like, yeah, it's hard work. It is, and I wish the schools and the school school systems would put more resources into helping that. But it really is the teachers that go that extra ten miles, even with their limited resources, because they care. Yeah, we all we all know the teachers that we had from middle school, high school, and college. You know the ones who actually cared who actually went the extra mile went the extra steps who stayed back after class to help those kids and you know the teachers who weren't as really available after school were just like hey i taught you you're on your own now and i mean jeff think about think about how impactful your engineering teacher was in high school for you like that man cared that man went above he because i remember i took the engineer like an engineering class freshman year back when like the program was falling apart they couldn't even Mm -hmm. get a, a solid teacher he was like the third what third fourth teacher they finally got, and this man put elbow kid. grease. Yeah, he put elbow grease into this program. Like he did all these things that no one thought was, was like you know the school was looking at him like he was crazy. Like hey, well, you really want to do all these things? Like you know you just got here. Mm-hmm. He's like, exactly. I got work to do, and he made an impact on you and other kids. I imagine as well. 
I mean, his second year at Marietta, and we were already doing presentations in front of like the Atlanta Capitol and like Marietta City School, like that board, school board. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Aaron, what was your professor's mom. name that you always had, like that you went to? Which one did you go to Barbados with? Um, there was always one that you always said. Dr. McCormick. Mm-hmm. Yes. And like, I always like remember like you telling me that like, I'm pretty sure if that's not your favorite professor, I don't know who else is. Like, she definitely is up there. Um, yeah, I mean, I think she just also just worked really hard to kind of set a, set a foundation for us with psychology because she taught the first psychology course that I took. And then she also kind of just helped cultivate things over time um, just with her presence. She was the co-chair of the psychology department at the time when I was there. So she definitely like, held the weight and knew the weight of her role and I think that she managed it well. But I think everything that you guys are saying is also a testament to the protective factors of mental health that go into the teacher's role, that go into this role of school. Like there, these are the things that help students remain resilient, help us remain resilient because we feel like somebody cares about us. You know what I mean? We feel like somebody's caring about what we're learning. They care that we are like we're actually grasping the concepts that are being taught to us, right? Like those are protective factors that we hope students do get from school because guess what? They have to go to school every day, right? Um, you know, for a long time. And we hope that school can be a safe place for them um, because they're going there every day for eight hours a day, you know? So um, it, it's something that I think schools have to be more mindful of, of how they can make a really significant impact on children. Um, mm-hmm. And that's also why I really chose to be in a school system because it's free for students that are in special education that can't afford an outside therapist. They're getting services in the school. It eliminates a lot of barriers where they have to go somewhere else, drive somewhere else, you know, to get the services they need. Um, and so that's why school based services are so important because they already have to go to school every day. It yeah. makes it convenient, you know? Um, and so I think people just underestimate the impact that school can have um, both negative and positive, you know? Absolutely. I think, I mean, you know, we were talking about like student struggles and everything as well. And I think it's, you know, eight hours a day being understood eight hours plus for some of the student athletes. Cause we've been talking about like what students go through. We don't know, but I mean, a lot of people kind of discount what like at like student athletes or like student, like, you know, extracurriculars do for a kid because the first thought is, Hey, they chose to do that. It's extracurricular. I mean, they they try to like make like they try to separate the two like they like you should only be able to do one or the other almost but you know these a lot of these kids kind of they either get too much slack or they get no slack whatsoever and then it's like they get a lot of pressure put on them a lot of the pressure to perform already like they have the pressure to perform in school but now they have this extra level of performance anxiety uh they can have i mean i remember alex i remember you and max would like talk about your own seasons and like some of the struggles y'all went through and you guys, like, one thing that was always in common is you guys would always kind of, like, play it off a little bit. Like, it was, like, you know, natural, like, whatever business. But then years later, you guys would talk about it again. But, like, yeah, that, that shit sucked. It, it, was, it was just, it's not fun. Because, okay, I, I'm going to break this. I'll, I'll break this down into four. There, there are four student athletes mm-hmm. that coaches have to decipher through. There is the kid who just ain't got it. The kid who they participate you know, they, they work hard, but they just don't have the skills to make it to the next level. Mm-hmm. And then you have the kid who has all the athletic ability in the world, but has no brain. 
those kids, the coach wants to work with them because they believe they can make it to the next level, but they're always worried about, why aren't you going to class? Why aren't you doing this? You're still being a knucklehead, but you have all the gifts in the world. Those kids, they're either going to make it or they're not based on their grades. Then you have the kid who is gifted, just just gifted, super smart, smoother. I mean, we, we, we all know him. We all went to our school, Dan Z. Swanson. Like, and now he plays with now he plays for Chicago Cubs. Like, and he went to our school. Dansby. Gifted, good kid, good person, was great at basketball and baseball, like just overall golden star, golden boy. And then you have well, he's not really this other kid is not the kid who is really smart, but like you know, I never have to worry about grades, but and he's like an average, like solid, like the, the solid average athlete. He yeah. may or may not go to the college level if he if he applies himself more, but he's he's just a genius. And I think that, you know, just coaches have to cipher through that. But a lot of times what makes a coach a good coach is they know how to identify the player and they know how to get the most out of them. Mm-hmm. And I think that unfortunately just with our coach that we have for baseball, he just he he didn't have I don't know if it was just the, the ability or he was just ignorant to it. Just the, the idea of how to work with a, us, an athlete. Like, Jeff, like, I don't know. Like, I, I've always heard good things about Coach Carthers as, as, a, as a... Wrestling coach? As a coach. But also, yeah. I just... I know him well as a teacher. Like, my mom, mm-hmm. like, my mom was close to them. So, I know, like, you know... How, no, how, do, was, how would you guys... How would you guys, you know, describe well, Coach Carthers? I, I never had him as a teacher. I heard great things about him as a teacher. But as a coach, he... I got to say, there was a difference between him my first year and my second year wrestling. Because I only wrestled junior and senior year. But the first year, it was it was great. Like he, It was fun, but he was hard. He was hard on you for like the, all the right reasons. And he pushed you. And if he pushed you, he knew it was because you could do it. Um, but, and he was just, you know, he was very much like he cared. He was compassionate. He would celebrate your wins. And... He would kind of, he would come down on you. He he would celebrate your wins and he would like, you know, he wouldn't punish you for losses. He would punish you for not trying or not working hard. But he was, he was fair. That was a thing. Um, Senior year though was a little bit different. He had a different team roster. And I'll be honest, a lot of the team, a lot of the issues that came with that team came from the fact that a lot of people he even said it at one a couple of times in practice a lot of people just didn't have that competitive edge because a lot of people were uncontested in their weight classes like the way it worked is like we had pretty much like one spot for every varsity like we had enough people for one spot in every varsity uh uh weight class and only a few of those weight classes had anybody else competing in it like i think the most contested weight classes were like the 145 and 152 because there was like three people in each um, but it was kind of just like, you know, and a lot of people, he would, he would accuse them as like, you know, sitting on your asses and like not doing anything. So it, the, 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 metri- the, it definitely got less fun, I got to say, but he was still fair. Yeah. Aaron, uh, Aaron, did, did you, do you always, do you still think highly of your volleyball coaches? You said, what? So you said, do I communicate with them still? Like, do you still, like, do you think highly of your coach? Like, were your coaches yeah. good coaches? Yeah, I do. Um, I think that that, I think they felt like I 
busted my butt at the time, which I absolutely did. Um, and I think that they saw that in me that I was not the tallest person because volleyball is a sport that does require height for most positions. Um, and the position that I played at the time, I did not have that height. I'm about five, four, five, five. Um, and what was on my side was that I can jump, right? Um, so I think they saw my ability and saw that I was willing to work hard to stay in my position, even though I didn't have the height that I typically should have had to play that position, right? right. But I did work 10 times harder because I'm short, you know? Um, and I think they gave me the opportunity to perform at a high level. And if at a point I was no longer able to perform at that high level, we had a conversation about switching positions and I was open to that because I wanted to play. I wasn't going to have pride and be like, no, I want to stay outside hitter. Because guess what? When you get to varsity level in high school, the girls are six feet tall. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to be beneficial for the team, you know? So I think that they were realistic with me, but I also was re- realistic with myself. Um, and I think that's a twofold, you know, it, it's a partnership between a, a player and a coach, right? And I think that Players have to be open to coaches, just as coaches have to be open to players. Um, But I think coaches have to be real, you know, really objective in their role. And I do think that sometimes they aren't. I think that's what leads to the downfall. I think with your coach, Alex, when you told me, I don't think he was necessarily as objective as he could have been. I think that he had some grudges or whatever um, that I think reflected negatively on your experience. And I think that's terribly unfortunate. I think... I, I I still have like every time I see the few times I've seen Coach Carthus years after I graduated, he he still like he still looks at me with that smile on his face, like you know we're like old buddies. And but I remember we there was a strain because of what you uh something one of y'all mentioned about like you know being able to divide between school and athletics is our our my relationship with him actually got kind of contested a little bit because. You know, first year was my first year of wrestling, right? I I was brand new, everything. He had you know had expectations, and I was working. I was putting in work, and I I wanted to do my best. But the problem was, is that I had other stuff going on. Like I think me and two other kids in that were the only kids that were in IB in the wrestling team. Um, and you know we were all we were all doing well with our grades and everything. But I had marching, I had marching band, I had band in general. I had all my academics and stuff, and also had my, I also had parents that were way more concerned with how I was doing academically, and like other stuff because they knew I wasn't going to go to like to college to wrestle. So this was a hobby for me. So no matter how much I wanted to like put my time into wrestling, a lot of times it came between my parents and the coach. Like I remember one time, um, my my dad was like, "I want you to come home and like you know study uh, after you're done after you win." I was like, "But there's this expectation that we're supposed to stay and support our team." And my dad was like, "Fine, then you better bring your homework with you." And I tried to tell my coach, I was like, "Coach, I'm I'm sorry. If you want me to be here, I have to do my homework." And he would look at me kind of like, "I'm not happy about this, but whatever, do it." And I will never forget, end of the year. This is when things got really like really different in the in the in the season. He actually kicked the first time I ever like heard of him kicking someone off the team, and not for like a grade thing. He kicked someone off the team because he got tired of his attitude, got tired of everything else, and he was just done. He was just done dealing with it. And he, I, I'll never forget this. As soon as he left the room, he looked at me. He said, "Be careful because you might be next." And I was like, "Yeah, exactly." He said that word to my face, and I was like, "Dog." I almost left right there too because my thought was, "Look, I'm coming here. I'm putting in as much work as I can." But the thing was, I had broke my leg the year before. I missed all the preseason, all the summer workouts. I was done. 
So the dude who came in behind me, he had all these months of training by comparison. He'd been training, working out and everything. And the amount of time that I had to put in was just not enough. I could not, I didn't, I did not have enough time to put in the effort to beat him. So he mistook that for like my laziness or lack of care. And I was like, no, dude, my priorities are elsewhere. I'm putting the work as much as I can for your team, for you. But it was almost like he started punishing me a little bit for putting school ahead of me or ahead of this team. Well, I think I think that that's that's where it becomes kind of gray. Like I think that when coaches, here's the thing: at the end of the day, first you're a teacher before you're a coach. Mm-hmm. Some people just prioritize them being the head coach of something before being them being a teacher. Which I mean, a lot of times that is the case. Like usually, the head coach of the varsity team is not always like a main teacher. They're probably like a gym coach or like weight training or something. Sometimes they're an actual teacher, but yeah, Coach Carthus. Yeah, Coach Carthus, he, he was like what computer computer science. Yeah, he was like um, he, was, he was like a computing. He was like a basic computing science course teacher. Yeah, like, everyone else was teaching like health and stuff, but he he was a teacher teacher. Right. He was yeah. But so there are some, but I think that that that's where you have to like understand like like where your roles are. Like you have to you have to understand these are students first, and that's where it becomes like you're not an athlete student. You're a student athlete. Yeah. And so I think that 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 does become tough because some coaches they'll just choose to they'll just choose the they'll choose the gifted and the and the athletic but dumb players first before they'll pick the one who's good at sports and they just love sport or who's good at who's great at school but is good at sports that's just a hobby and i think a lot of times they'll give them the short end because mm-hmm. it's like eh, you're not even going to go to college for this anyways so just yeah. eh, just push you to the side and that I think attitude- that's, that's not that's not fun either but that attitude doesn't just stop with the coaches. That attitude spreads to the team. Right. Like the team will always kind of mirror or mimic like what the coach is feeling, especially the ones who are the most dedicated. So like if the coach has a negative opinion about something, the athletes are going to share that opinion. Like they will look like if the coach looks at you like you're not trying hard enough, the other team will look at you as well. Like as if like you're as if them as well as other people. And I don't know. I just think that it doesn't do anything to really support like the the team building experience you know like yeah. if you if your team is as like as like hostile towards you as your coach is then why are you there you know even yeah. in, even in an individual sport like wrestling like you still want to rely on that team yeah agreed and i think but also i think any even from like a high school or college athlete i mean even in pros like being a professional athlete like just the, the level of demand is so great but then sometimes it sometimes you get you get kind of foolish like like the players who just were fantastic but they still do stupid stuff on the side like for instance john morant like just being an idiot or like you have players like ben simmons who claim mental health or back problems but then you kind of fold it on your team so like i don't know it's like aaron what, what do you see when it comes to like professional athletes when it comes to like them talking about their mental health yeah i mean i think um you know sports psychology is something that is a a newer field that's coming up um but i think that it's necessary to help student and students athletes to reach their full potential right that there are things that go into being a professional athlete that we know nothing about you know the rigor that goes into everything for them to perform at a high level also includes their mental health. Mm-hmm. And so I think what it is, is that they make it look easy. And so we expect them as viewers 
to perform at that level all the time, regardless of what's going on in their life, right? And so I think also as athletes, I think that they have to prioritize their mental health as well. Like I think, you know, with Simone Biles, like when she prioritized her mental health, I think it was a shocking factor to the world. Because we're like, but you do this. It's e- it looks easy. You make it look perfect. Why can't you do it now? Yeah, but yeah. she wasn't feeling at the top of her level like she usually would. And if she did feel like that, she probably would have continued. She didn't. And gymnastics is a very dangerous sport. So I think that at that point, she's also saving herself from a very serious injury that could have been life-altering, you know? Um, so I think that people have to be mindful of respecting athletes when they do you know, share their mental health and that there's something going on. Um, you know, I think people like Ben Simmons, you know, we don't know. We don't know what, what was going on with him. I think it was a lot of up in the air um, speculation that happened with him. Um, but I hope that he got the help that he needed. You know, whatever it was that was going on, whether that was a back injury, whether it was mental health, whatever, I hope that he gets the help that he needs to help him to get to a better level. But I think, too, people also underestimate the camaraderie of a team. And how that could also contribute to mental health, right? Because I even with like Russell Westbrook, for example, he struggled on the Lakers. It was very evident. He was not playing like the usual Russell Westbrook that we've seen for years. And then he's playing with the Clippers and he's playing at an exceptionally high level in the same season. And everyone's like, is that the same Russell? And I was like, you know, it is. But the situation, the environment is different. He's thriving in this environment, whereas he didn't thrive in the one before. Yeah. And I think people yeah. underestimate those little things that really can make a big difference with how athletes perform. Same thing with KCP. He's on number. He's showing out. He's playing amazing. They're like, is that the same Lakers KCP? It's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Whatever is going on at Denver is helping him to thrive in ways that maybe he didn't by being in a Lakers. So, you know, yeah. people environmental change even even if you're not on a even if you're not on an actual playing team even for like individuals like even for like fighters lucas like like there's there's plenty of instances where you'll um because even with the with the tank versus uh ryan garcia fight mm-hmm. after that fight ryan garcia has a new coach and i'm yeah. like oh like that's pretty common or like you're or, or a ufc fighter who who's been fighting who's been struggling and they switch to a new fighting team yeah. And then now they're like now they're thriving. Now they're on an undefeated hot streak. So I'm I like, mean, even Charles like Charles Oliveira, like he in like early good days in his UFC, he was on like he was losing like fights left and right. He, I think he lost like somewhere like eight fights. Took a break, left for a while, came back, a whole new dude came. Ten fight win streak, became the light 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 lightweight champion. He was a whole new fighter. People like could not believe it. But this thing actually like that I, one thing real quick. I, Aaron said and it just it clicked something. Um, is the idea that I'm, I imagine that for professional athletes, no matter what sport it is, there must be this incredibly demoralizing feeling of being a celebrity because there's this double-edged sword. Like, yeah, people are praising you. They love you. They expect so much from you. But you also cannot shake the feeling that, like, let's say, for example, Simone Biles had, like, succumbed to the pressures and did it regardless because her, you know, her people are expecting it and she hurt herself. A serious injury like that, can you imagine how awful it would have been if, you know, it was like a career ending injury or like a career stopping injury. And everyone's just like, Oh, well, who's the next big star? Like you just, you get thrown, you get thrown out as quickly as you get like lifted up and is you get swallowed in and then they spit you out the second you're no, you're no good use to them. You're just like, like well, 
It's yeah. like that old, like it's like that old uh, quote from Spider Man, like the original Tobey Maguire Spider Man. It's like the only people that pe- thing that people love more than a hero is to see a hero fall, fail, die trying. It's like the idea that yeah, your fifteen minutes of fame are great. You are a celebrity, but that whole thing of like people bringing others down to make themselves feel good, make themselves feel adequate, is you see someone on top of the world fall like that, you don't feel so bad for not getting to that level either. It's it's terrible. Fighters go through that same thing. Probably, I would say, you know, on the same level as like gymnastics or anything, but or like, but like more so because of the the risk of injury, you know, knockouts, like limb breaking, like these kinds of things. Like, what's quoted as humiliating losses is just, you know, it can be a career ender in the eyes of the people. If the people don't love you, you're not going to get. Doesn't matter how good you are, kind of thing. I would say, how many how many times did everybody pray? and hope that Floyd Money Mayweather was going to lose. Every single fight me. that this man was on. <laughs> it's, it's and me. I'm like, hey, I, I was there too. I was one of them. I was like, somebody beat him. Somebody. Anybody. Yeah. And the prob- nothing. The problem was that like, it was, it was a timing thing also. Like, there were like the, 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 the like fighters that were going up against like Floyd, they... They didn't adjust as much. Like, you know, you always have to adjust for the, like the fighter by fighter, but a lot of fighters came in with their own style thinking, my style is going to beat yours. Like, maybe. But side note, Floyd kind of ruined the game also. We're talking about, uh, I think he really, no, he really, this is a mental health thing also. Max and I were talking about this the other day. Mayweather messed up this idea of like what greatness is by, th- by making everybody think that an undefeated record is the cemented title for being the best of all time. But it's I mean, not. Nurmagomedov, you know, was the same way. I mean, okay, no, but yeah, Nurmagomedov. Everyone talks about his record being twenty nine and zero, but his UFC reign was thirteen and zero. Like the okay, Khabib was great. Don't get me wrong, he is. But people inflate his record. Talk about he's twenty nine wins. No, yeah, twenty nine. Like yeah, but thirteen of those wins were in the UFC. The rest of them were in who knows where. I don't even know what his mm-hmm. fights were like. He he sucked when he first fought yeah. too. He didn't know how to strike. I, I do I do agree that there is there is this thing of glorifying what perfection is because like even in there they're just there are just some records that once you put undefeated on there that like that's it like that's the cap like it, like for the NFL nobody else is going to do what the Dolphins did in like like seventy six or like like seventy nine where a perfect season perfect season thirteen and zero Super Bowl like and and now and then everybody else is now chasing that. And for a long period of time, and even like, even like the Panthers came close to it. The Panthers were like fifteen and one, and then yeah. they got embarrassed in the Super Bowl. But it's just like they lost the Falcons too. That's that's gotta suck. Yeah, it was it was, <laughs> it was, it was hilarious. But it was just like there, there's no. But I mean, but there, there is something where it's like that is something to say that that is good bragging rights. If yeah. I'm gonna brag about something, it's nobody's beaten. And so there there is something where it's just like okay, I will give it to you. But it's also like. Yes, the quality of win. Mm-hmm. Now, if Khabib won twenty nine fights in the UFC, can't can't nobody touch him. Agree, yeah. no, can't no. nobody touch him. But for like for certain divisions, like imagine if he was like fighting these like underground fights, or if it was like Bellator or one fight or or anything else. And, and honestly, like, he yeah. was he was fighting he was fighting a lot like a lot of people that largely weren't didn't have the same grappling prowess. That was the thing. Like he was fighting a lot of good strikers, but it was his it was his wrestling it was his grappling that put him on the edge. 
But I mean, the idea is like, you know, loss is a natural part of life. It's a natural part of everything. And loss can make you stronger. That's the real weed out is has nothing to do with like how much you win. It's what you do after you lose. And I've seen some of the best comebacks of all time come out from loss. That's well, the look, real story right there. But like people who always win, you know, it's like, yeah, it's all, you're right. It's awesome. It's great. It's bragging rights, you, whether it's a team or your individual. But I mean, it's also it's kind of it, it can get boring after a little while only in the in the essence of just like you know like what did you learn really like well okay so i was gonna say are there are there are, are there for boxing are there boxers that are arguably as good or better than floyd and then for people they'll automatically throw in manny pacquiao oscar de la hoya um Evander Holyfield, Muhammad Ali, Canelo Alvarez, are those boxers even comparatively at that level than what Floyd did? I think if I think if Canelo fought Floyd when he was at his like the peak of his skill, I think we would have seen a different story potentially. Yeah, because um, Canelo was a kid when he yeah. fought Floyd. Canelo was very raw, wild, and he really tuned up his. Uh, I'm talking about like that that golden era when he was just like when he was the untouchable Canelo. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, you know. You got like other. You want to talk about other fighters that are like as good or better? Yeah, there are, and there are some that are like going to get to that level eventually. But I mean, you have uh, Tyson Fury is a big one. He's heavyweight, huge, sure. But I mean, he exhibits a lot of like a lot of just overarching skill. He's got good defense. He's got good speed, power. He and he's on, he's also undefeated. Right. He's not, well, he didn't have as big of a record, but I mean, he's also fighting like heavyweights. He's going right. I'm like I'm taking I'm I'm trying to take your theory of loss makes you greater and trying to apply it. No. So I'm well, saying like are there are there te- are there people that you know who have suffered a loss and came back stronger? Oh yeah, Canelo is, is a huge one. He like he he became a whole new boxer after he lost to Floyd. Mm. Uh, Pacquiao only ever got stronger and he was not undefeated. He just kept getting better and better and better. Right. At the top of his game, the guy conquered eight weight classes. You don't do that unless you're a special kind of great. Right. This thing too. He. This thing. May, Mayweather conquered like two, three weight classes. Pacquiao climbed up eight, eight weight classes and won every one. Yeah, that that, that is great. That's, so that's... okay, so so tying so tying these back to psychology. So Aaron, so are right. there are there moments when you're seeing kids? When kids are struggling or suffering or have taken a loss, what are some what are some tools or resources that you've been able to provide that you've noticed that helps kids, you know, come back and fight back stronger? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's about like trial and error. And I think sometimes students don't realize that they're going to experience different kinds of setbacks or different kinds of um, moments. And different coping strategies may not work in those moments. You have to like work at it to figure out what works. If I'm feeling sad, okay, what do I do when I'm sad? What do I do when I'm angry? What do I do when I need a minute? Like, We have to like work with ourselves in that. And I think when I tell students, hey, here are some coping strategies, they're like, deep breathing is not going to work. You know, all of those things, they have this, you know, mentality that like, Oh, I'm gonna breathe and then I'm gonna feel better. But it's not even about that. It's about being it's being intentional about what we're doing and how it can make us feel better in each different kind of moment. So I think all of us, right? We think about different things that we do 
um, that do help us, whether we're conscious about it or not, right? So I would ask you guys, like, what coping strategies you guys use when you're feeling these different types of emotions? And I can guarantee you, you might just do things because it feels automatic to you. But luckily, you guys have found something that actually works. And therefore, you do it in a way that's so unconscious that you're constantly coping in ways that you don't even realize, but you are, right? And I think for students, I'm helping to teach them that, hey, intentional deep breathing can help you calm down, right? Because working on your physiological body, it's helping you bring your heart rate down, and eventually it will make you feel calm, right? But they don't see it that way, right? So I'm teaching them from a basis of, okay, they need help, they need tools, versus us as adults, we've kind of figured it out along the way, and now it does work for us, you know? So I hope that answers your question, Alex. But mm. I do want to ask you guys, you know, what coping strategies you guys have been using to help you stay resilient and keep moving forward? Mm. Yes. I scream in front of a mirror. <laughs> no, I'm playing. Um, All right. Rocky. Damn. Right. <laughs> ah! <laughs> do the roar. Ah! Well, while we're answering that question, I also I had another like a supplemental question for Jeff while you're answering this question. I was wondering if like because like you you all you and I would talk about like you know our separate martial art training and stuff, but you would always like talk about how your training was on a very different like you had a different purpose for training, different medium, different goals, and I was just wondering like if you felt any kind of pressures in your own like realm, even if you weren't like trying to be competitive in the traditional sense like you know maybe you're competing with yourself maybe you're competing with the people in your club so that's just something i wanted you to also consider in your answer well i was i was okay so while while jeff thinks about that it it does tie into just the all three of us all three of us work out all three of us are are in a gym lifting weights and so that i i did recognize that like especially during covid um I, i needed to work out and not just so that i can Flex and be like, oh, look at my big muscles, yeah. Like, but it was just, I, I needed my, that. That's my reason. That's 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 oh, what that's I do. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, look at I, my I, big I, muscles, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I needed it because it was something to. It, it was my escape away from like this the stuff that I was dealing with because mm-hmm. it was during COVID. Yeah, like like for for very few people who didn't know. Yeah, it was it was not a fun time for me, and so like I I needed to work out so that i can just get a grip and then afterwards because it, it started with me running and then once i got my own place and i started going to the gym me lifting was just like i need this so i can continue to you know cope with address and just let whatever i'm going through and just let it ride mm-hmm. um because some people whenever they're having those episodes like they just try, they try to suppress it or they try to I, I don't do that anymore. I, I literally address it and I just watch it and I just I just let it rock. And so especially when I'm in the gym, I'll feel those emotions as I'm working out and I'll just address it with just certain workouts with like back or leg or bench or abs. Like just trying to address it so that my body can address it as well and see how I can cope with it. And then at the end of my workout, I, I feel at peace because like I have addressed my emotions. I faced them head on and, and, I, and I've taken them and now I'm, and now I'm better. And so I think similarly to, to Jeff or to you, Lucas, just working out has definitely been a, a safe haven for me. Yeah. So I mean, for me, working out 
like weightlifting and cardio, like that's a means to an end for me. Like I, I've never really enjoyed just working out for the sake of working out. I, I work out to improve my training. I am, I work out so that I can be stronger, faster, better in my, in my martial arts days. Like that, that's my whole thing. And like, I, when I enjoy working out, it is for that, for that benefit. But I mean, my coping mechanisms for anything, they go in like two different, like two branches. You know, there's the, the I like, there's my dynamic and there's my passive. And like, there's time for all of it. Like, I don't just like, you know, there, I can't just go train and like hit a bag or do some martial arts to relieve all kinds of stress and anxiety. Sometimes if I'm just too pent up, just doing that will make it, will aggravate it more. But on days where like, you know, had a cool, little bit, a little bit of stress, a little bit, whatever I go, I train, I spar, I, I will, I'll hit a bag. I'll do some stretches, flexibility workouts. I'll run, I'll work out. And these things will give me uh, like a medium for like, you know, like what Alex said, like taking all that energy and putting it into something useful, putting it into something that I can like be like controlled, angry kind of thing, controlled, like, you know, aggression. That's a good way to put it. it it's yeah. using the, your controlled emotion of just like, I'm feeling these emotions right now and I don't feel good, but I'm going to make my body work for me and make it useful instead say, of putting hey. it instead of putting it in a bottle and corking it i'm putting it in a funnel and putting it out so it's right. focusing the stream but on days where like you know i need something a little bit more delicate i'll do some more like more passive things i'll paint i'll read i'll i'll just like i'll just go on a nice little walk anything like anything peaceful of that nature is just kind of how because sometimes what i like sometimes one will lead to the other like sometimes i need to like just get some stress out and then i'll do something creative or i'll do the opposite i'll just like i need to like calm down do something creative to like you know control my emotions and then i'll take like after that's been kind of like brought in i'll focus it out and work out i'll kinda play my bass guitar or something yeah. or i'll exactly. or i'll or i'll swim i love i love being in the water and yeah, my I, my logo from foursquare i love Water brings me peace. Yeah. And if I sit there and I just let the current just take mm -hmm. me and I just sit there and I just breathe and I'll just I'll just be in a corner. Like a lot of times when, I, when I'm in a pool and there's like, you know, a whole bunch of kids just splashing everywhere. I, I literally will just put myself in a corner mm -hmm. and I'll just sit there and I'll just I'll just that's where I'll do my breathing exercises is that yeah. I'll breathe while I sit in the water and I feel so much better. Yeah, I learned afterwards. this. I learned this, unfortunately, the hard way. But I have a rule now is I never spar angry. I never do anything with like martial arts related with another person. I'll never do it angry ever in my life. I don't care how how bad of a day I'm having. I will find everything else I can do before doing that. Because unfortunately, I because the thing is, like, you know, if I'm at that level and I've been at that level, hitting a bag just didn't work. It just didn't have. And I didn't know why at the time, but I had just essentially had like a second breakup with an ex. It was a whole thing. I just got I, like literally I was walking to practice. Had a fight and like ended like everything. I was oh, I was pissed, and that was a day that I was supposed to spar one of my friends because he, you know, it was a bet. He lost a bet. And he had to go that fight with me, and I just, I was just in a whole different world. And I hurt, and I hurt him. And I was, I, I didn't mean to, but I had no real understanding of what I was doing, and I didn't like. It wasn't like I was like, I'm gonna hurt you. I just did. Like I, I didn't really understand that. So. I never want to do that again. I never want to like cause someone else pain because of my own. And that was like a big reflection moment. So that's when I started developing the other like hobbies and stuff. Cause you know, understanding is not just about relieving your stress. It's about understanding the sources of it and the best ways to combat it. And 
it has done me wonders. Man, why you, Mister Hughes? Yeah. Um. So as far Mr. as like my Hughes. martial arts background, um, I never really put pressure on myself because it wasn't necessarily a competitive comp. It wasn't like a competition, really. It was just, um. It's not a. It wasn't a combat sport. Like I did jujitsu, but it wasn't like Brazilian jujitsu. Mm -hmm. So it was more just learning the techniques and um, going forward with that. But I think what also helped is that. Plus, I was like, what, seven to like when I moved to so like eleven. So I was still kind of young, but it incorporated fifteen minutes of meditation. Mm -hmm. So doing that, like you're already gonna regulate your emotions anyway. So I never really had that, you know, competitive edge necessarily in that space. Now, when I went to college for Muay Thai, it was a little bit more competitive because he was trying to see if some people wanted to do it competitively. But it's also like we're in college, man. Like we ain't really got time for that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I would push myself to do better, but not necessarily to the point of stressing myself out. Because naturally for me, I am a very chill person. My body doesn't react to stress well. Mm -hmm. Like, it just doesn't, it doesn't, you know what I'm saying, comprehend. It's like divided by zero. Like, my body's like, nah, I don't like this. Mm -hmm. So, to like cope, I wouldn't even really use the word cope because, you know, emotions is pretty much just energy in motion. So, in order, I don't really subscribe to the term controlling it because it's energy. What I'm doing is basically flowing it somewhere because I'm not going to stop it or else it's going to break that barrier. So mm -hmm. flowing it, whether it's listening to music or, you know, reading, but honestly it's kind of bad, but I top like what I kind of do sometimes like normally is, you know, if work, you know, pisses me off or like, something gets me upset we're kind of like does this really matter in the grand scheme of things like really like does this matter in the grand scheme of things like you know all of this is an experience you know i'm very spiritual so to me it's like all oh, this is an experience we're gonna die at some point don't stress so much about bills or the way someone's acting because at the end of the day none of this really matters like that to that point yeah. that should get you that riled up i I don't know. I, I think that schools, athletics, whatever, I think a lot of people are like developing this. Like, I'm curious if you see this in, in your uh, in your work, Aaron, is like people developing a very um, skewed idea of like competition, you know, breeding, like essentially breeding competition with kids among like with themselves, with each other. And it's always very like one dimensional, very like one sided. Like, I mean, you start out like with like AR points or whatever for reading in elementary school and then you go into like, you know, sports and um, academics, like GPA, like you have all these things that people are competing with each other and it just becomes this big race. And I think, you know, there's a lot of issues that can sprout from that. Um, there's the intolerance of losing. Um, there's the like desperation to win. And there's just like, you know, the people that fall on the cracks that no one really like helps back up. Like they're too busy working. They're, 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 everyone's like so busy focusing on their own achievement that they physically can't either can't or they won't take the time to, you know, help somebody from falling kind of thing. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's also a part of the generation. I think that uh, what they've been exposed to, especially on social media, I think they have these unrealistic expectations from what they've been shown and taught. Mm-hmm. And I think that it is a competition. Okay, how can I make more money than them? How can I make the money that they have? How can I do all these things without recognizing the work that somebody might have put in to get to that point, right? It's that this there's this instant gratification that people desire versus the notion of working hard and putting in the effort to get the reward out of it, right? So I think that part is extremely unfortunate for young children that are growing up. But um, something that Alex and I have talked about uh, recently is kind of like, you know, some things that happened while we were in college and some of the uh, the co- competitiveness that we that I experienced at Smallman particularly, um, I think can be daunting, extremely, extremely so. Um, and I think it it's a reminder to focus on yourself and focus on, focus on your own growth um, because competing with other people is, is it's not going to get you anywhere in the sense of you're always going to feel like you're losing to somebody. Mm-hmm. Because someone is always going to be doing amazing things and that's great for them, right? But it doesn't mean that it makes you any less great too. And I think even in some of my personal experiences where I did feel that way, where I didn't share my great experiences or my great accomplishments because I was afraid it would make somebody else feel less than. But that's a disservice to me, right? Because I should have been able to celebrate my own accomplishments and the things that I worked hard for without it reflecting negatively on somebody else, you know? So I think that it is a, a growing experience. I think it's an experience that we will have continue to have as adults where we will just focus on our own growth and not worry about what everyone else is doing. But I think when you're growing up with friends and everything, everyone's in each other's business, you know, which is just how it, how it goes. Um, But I think as we become adults, those things start to kind of fall to the wayside and we start to really focus on ourselves. And um, and I think that serves us well so that we can focus on our own growth as opposed to worrying about what other people are doing. Yeah, I agree. But I think, I think there's also the, the idea of like, I love the idea of it takes a village because like the village is real. And yeah. I think that that is something that like, like if I win, we all win. Like, like stuff like that. Yeah. Like I go hard for all of my friends when like, when they accomplish something, like, like yeah. for my friends that have graduated for my friends that have like accomplished something for like friends who are, who, who get married, who have children. I celebrate any type of accomplishment that my friends have. And I still am celebrated from 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 my own accomplishments, and I don't let anything affect me. But I, I do see where some people they just they can't separate that for themselves. Mm-hmm. Like they can't have the idea of like you win, great for you, but like oh, but what about me? And I'm like ah, like you you shouldn't look at it like that. Yeah. You should be motivated to continue to work hard, so as you can well as your other friends mm-hmm. are working hard, so that we can all be successful at the table together. Yeah. And a lot of people, they kind of focus, they harp on the idea of like, it takes village, but mainly on the idea of failure, like punishing, like, you know, like punishing, like the, the, the mass for one person's like shortcoming or failure kind of thing. And it's like ma- and creating animosity and like, you know, and negativity. And like, all it does is just like, you know, it doesn't encourage them to help that person do better. It just makes them resent them kind of thing. Like, you know, you have, it does take a villain. When one, when, when, when your friend wins, you all win. When your team, when one when one member of your team wins his match, everybody wins. Your whole your whole uh, your whole gym wins. Your whole team, everybody wins. But 
it's the idea that like people also take that opposite where it's like one loses we all lose but it's like we all fail kind of thing it's like no it's not it's not failure it's just it's loss you learn one person loses we all learn from it kind of thing like it's not the idea that we shouldn't like you know just disregard loss as like a a thing because like sometimes you do lose because of failure but either way grow grow from it instead of just punishing them for doing it because you they may not grow on their own like you expect them to grow on their own from that loss they may not do it especially if you discourage them and everything well i will say is like when it comes to kids as well you got to remember that they're still learning how the world works and they're mm-hmm. developing their foundation of reality. So Definitely. if you harbor competition and wins and loss in them that that early of a stage, their reality is is loss and wins. Mm-hmm. That's what life is. So they're going to take that to heart because that's that foundation of understanding of, okay, life's about either you're winning or you're losing. So if I'm losing, that means that I am a failure and I need to focus on whatever that is to get better. But even when it comes to wins, you're still learning too, because that means whatever you're doing is working. That's why you're being able to be successful in this. Absolutely. You can still learn from wins because that just shows you you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. I got to take for all of you and I want you to either agree or disagree or whatever, but I want y'all to think. So is the idea that, you know, winning and losing you know, are both equally important, but the one, the in my opinion, the worst thing for a team or a group or anything of that nature is for someone to lose because they actively did not try. Oh, I'm, I'm, I, I will say this. <laughs> I, I am a firm believer. If you didn't even try, mm-hmm. oh yeah, no, like, like, I'm one of those. Well, I'll be harsh. I'll be like, well, then why do you expect any any of us to even like like consult you at that point? Yeah, I'm gonna console you if you give it. Give you give it your best. I'm gonna tell you. I just want you to give your best effort. I want you to try. I want you to try it something. And I think that that's what would bother me about kids or like even my friends or like if you're struggling. If you are not trying, then then why? Then why do you? Then why do you? Not say why do you deserve support? That was about to come out really toxic. <laughs> but like, if you're not trying, like, then, then it makes it harder for me to 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 pat you on the back and say like, go get them. Like, you got this. Realistically, you can't really expect that kind of like you know re- like that kind of response from your team if you don't put the effort. It's it, it's a give and take. Like you have, like everyone has to put like everyone has to pull their weight, put their own work in for the team to grow. So to speak, and I, I faced an experience like this. It was the first time I've ever actually seen this because I've seen people that just don't try and they don't care. But it was the first time, you know, I was in a martial arts tournament, and you know, everybody, I was like, I was like, all right, guys, we've been training, we've been training for months. I personally have been like helping people because this is like is a beginner grappling like tournament kind of thing, and so a lot of people had just been learning for the first time. And I was like, all right, I want to teach y'all basic skills. We're gonna get through this. We're gonna do our best. All right. And I saw a lot of effort. I saw so much effort. People were like, even against each other, like within our own school, they were just eat. They were they were going to kill each other. I loved it. I loved that competitive edge because to me it was like, okay, <laughs> because it was like, okay, this is what I wanted to see. I don't care if you win or lose. I want to see you work for it. You look because like, because you I can work like with that. That's the thing. No, no, we can work with that. Like a coach, like a helper, whatever. You can work with effort. You can you can work with effort, but loss. You can't work with a lack of effort because it's like I, what everything I teach you, you're not going to put into application. But one of our one of my team members, 
uh, you got second place. And I was like, hey, I came up, I was like, look, I'm very proud of you. I'm sorry that it didn't go your way. And they're like, that's whatever. And I stopped, I stopped cold. I was like, what do you mean it's whatever? It's like, yeah, I mean, I didn't really like go for it all that much. I just wanted to have fun. And I, I had to walk away because I was, I was upset. I was like, we put in months of work and months of training to like, you know, and I didn't, like I said, I didn't care if they won, but I could not believe that anybody would have the mentality of just, you know, you want to go fun. for it? Because it's like, I you know, it's put like, my foot up, yo. Maybe, I was maybe it's not that because you said, he said it's whatever because he was trying to have fun. Maybe that was his way no. of saying, no, are you sure? No, it was, no, they told me straight up that it was because that they just didn't really put in the effort for it. They weren't really trying to win. They were just going to do, you know, they were just going to go do it and whatever happened, happened. What was their exact words? Their exact words were like, yeah, I mean, maybe I could have won, but it's like, I didn't really, I didn't really try that hard. Oh. I just kind of went with it. Like there was going with emotions and like, you know, whatever happened, happened. And I was just like, and I'm looking at it, I'm like, you had the skills, the ability and the work to beat this person. I watched that match. I was like, that person shouldn't have beaten you at all. And I'm just like, you know, because to me, it may sound intense to some people, but I don't really like to me, it's 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 insulting. It, 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 it is a bit insulting to like the people that put work in to help you, like your team. But it's also insulting on a personal level to your opponent, because imagine how much work they put into it. And it's like if I win, I want to win, but I also don't care if I lose because I, I take experience from loss. But if I win, knowing that that person just didn't care, I'm mad because I feel like I didn't really win anything. Lucas, like, just give me my participation trophy. Lucas, I'm going to use the words of my mother because my mother and me and my brother, we, we've all had this conversation mm. and it stuck very well with us on the idea of you, you really need to understand what the mentality of a person is before they get into something, especially as like a competitive sport or anything competitive. Like when we do stuff, like me playing baseball and me playing football, after a while of playing for so long, yeah, I have the skills, I have the knowledge, I have the know-how. But at the end of the day, you have to have that hunger, that killer instinct, that drive that's going to take you over the edge, that's going to put you in the next level. There are some people regardless of what level it is, either like elementary school, middle school, high school, where you have to understand like where your head is. You could have applied that type of mentality to that person. And maybe that person just didn't have, he didn't have that killer instinct to, to go for it. Some people, they just want to go. They want to do martial arts. They want to do a sport just because they love it. They mm -hmm. do it just because they, they love the game. They love playing. They love being with their friends and they just love it for the, for the, for the, for the good of the game. And there are some people who want to rip heads off. There are some people who want to get an ace, get a roof. get it. They want to do it and embarrass you. And they want to do it and make you suffer. There, there are people who have that, that, like that, that, um, that dog in them. People, not everybody's going to have it. And I think that you are right to walk away. Because like some people... That he probably wasn't going to really respond that way. And I think that people just need to understand what the mindset is. If you are going to put in and you're going to tell me I'm dedicated to this sport, I'm going to give it my all, and then when you come to competition time and then you just bullshit it, then yes, you have every right to be pissed. 
because you you got me thinking that you actually wanted this and you wanted to compete and go for tricking and go for gold. And then you fold like that. But for people, if I'm just learning martial arts just because it's a great workout, I like the camaraderie, I like meeting the people that I've met, and I just like it, and I just want to go out and just have a good time. Okay, cool. Whatever I place, if I win, great. If I don't, whatever. So I, I think there's just, you have to understand what a person's mentality is. before you, you're, while, I, while I agree with you, I also think that there's another side of that in the, the essence of just like, you know, I'm a firm believer in effort, like trying your best. Like, you know, it, even if like, you know, I understand like not wanting to go in there because you don't care about the gold. That's one thing. If that was really all it was like, ah, I put in my work, but I couldn't get the gold, but I'm not really b- bothered by it. I would celebrate them. I would put them on my shoulders and I would go take them to dinner. We have cake, everything. It'd be awesome. Cause that to me, that's a win, but it's like, if you like, you put in the work and everything, but you, you don't care, but it's, it's not, it's, it's, the, it's the reason why they didn't care. It's not because like, Oh, I don't care because win or lose, I had fun. It's the idea of just like, I know like I, you can put the effort in. If you had just put, like worked a little bit harder, you probably would have won. And even if you didn't win, there's no doubt you left it all on the mat. You left it all in the ring, whatever. But it's like, you know, I could, I could never shake that lingering doubt. It's like, did I do everything I could kind of thing? It's, it's an incompleteness. So I just, it was like the first time I'd ever like seen that from somebody. And I was just baffled. I was completely flabbergasted, bamboozled. If you, you know, if you would like, couldn't there, believe it. There are moments where it sucks because it's like you forget that it's it's not just you, but it's it's a whole team behind you that, that was rooting on you. Yeah. Like I couldn't like if I go up to the plate and I, I got two outs and I know that if I get this hit and there's somebody at second or third and all I gotta mm-hmm. do is just get them on and just get them in and I just BS it. Oh yeah, no. Like and I just be like, eh, I'll strike out, but whatever. Mm-hmm. I can't say that and get away with it. Like, no, like, I have a job. Like, I have a duty. Like, you got to understand. And at that point, he, he's got to read the room. He's got to read the room and understand what the environment is. And so, yeah, there are just certain things where it's just like, if you're just doing it just for the love of it, cool. But still, put some effort into it. There was um, Jeff, Alex, have y'all seen, like, the Jujutsu Kaisen anime? I have not. All right. So, no spoiler, but there's they had like a lot of little filler episodes. It's a fun little thing. Actually, they had a baseball episode where like all the characters played baseball with each other. And there was actually a very profound moment in which one of the characters, like the teacher for like two of like the primary characters, he goes up to uh one. He's all he's been struggling this entire time. Like, why is he always stronger? Why is my like friend and rival always stronger than I am? And he goes up to him and said, Do you know what? We want to know why, a big reason why he's so much stronger than you. Because look at this game. It's like when you were up at base, you noticed that your team was loaded on the bases. You played it safe. You gave a little soft tap, and you let your team succeed and get the points at the, at the sacrifice of your own uh, benefit. But your friend and myself, we always go for the home run, no matter what. And that is the difference between you and him, is because he will always go for it, and he might fail kind of thing. And not to say that everyone should always go for the home run It is just simply the idea of just like, I found that like a very interesting mentality of like, if you're trying to like be better, if you're trying to like get up to a level, there's that risk, you know, you always have to, you have to embrace the idea that you will lose before you can win. Yeah. Um, Lucas, what time are we at? Nope. We're at time for you to go get a watch. <laughs> 
Somebody yeah. bring a boo button. We're we're like we're <laughs> we're at like an hour and twenty. Okay, because I gotta. I was saying, but no, I, I hear you. I hear you. No, get ready to wrap it up. But um, but no, we we we've talked so much about just from yeah from mental health with with children within the school system within with sports, which is the idea of just competition. So mm-hmm. uh, I just want to take everybody to take the time to just say their last piece before. So. Well, I guess I'll just, you know, yeah, just, you know, you know how I always just leave it with the, cash, the, with the question of where do we go from here after this conversation, you know, Aaron, you know, I'll start off with you. Like, where do we go from here as far as like, what is, what is the work that you have learned from within your first year and where do you, where do you look forward towards in, in the next years to come within just your whole, your whole department? Yeah, I think uh, on a personal level, you know, just remaining empathetic um, toward others, I think as much as possible and realizing that we don't know what everyone else is going through. Um, But at the same time, celebrating my accomplishments, celebrating my own wins, um, because I think that, you know, we're all doing amazing things and it seems really regular, but it's not. You know, we deserve to celebrate ourselves um, and pushing forward every single day and doing things that we do. So um, being empathetic celebrating my wins um and just you know having some fun and really bringing that joy back so i think that we've been through a lot um in our mental health something that we're always working on um but in the times that we can have you know, genuine joy and celebrate times with our friends and family i think we should capitalize on so definitely trying to capitalize on the positives um because you know the lows happen but when the highs come making sure we celebrate those to the fullest so I'm excited for that. Absolutely. Well said. Well said. Um, I'll I'll leave with this. I, I think, you know, there there's a lot that can be learned from just from our own personal experiences and what we can learn forward. And I think it's just taking the time to acknowledge like if you are going through something that don't be afraid to speak about it. And obviously like like take it serious because everybody, you know, you never know who could be going through stuff. And I think it's just a moment to just acknowledge that, like, there, there is help and there is resources. And I think that it's just a matter of just utilizing those resources when needed and just, you know, not being afraid to speak up among friends or family whenever you just, you need, you need that helping hand. And, you know, obviously, you know, a lot of stuff can be done without just the work of, like, teachers and the work of, like, people like Aaron who are dedicating their, their, their career to making sure that these kids are getting the best chance possible to just mm-hmm. thrive and, and you never know what resources are readily available. And so, you know, just take the time to, to hone in on those and, and reach out if you ever need help. I will say very much on the lines of what uh, our illustrious guest and our friend Alex have said is, you know, don't be afraid to put people, put yourself in people's shoes when you're trying to understand them you may not always understand what's going on. You may not be able to register it, but sometimes all people need is just kindness, you know, a helping hand or the presence of knowing someone will give you a helping hand if you reach out for it. But also very importantly, while you're taking that effort to put people like put yourself in them shoe and you're in their shoes and, you know, put people um, and their interests and their struggles in the forefront of your mind, don't forget to take the time to understand yourself, reflect, understand your own limitations, your own 
uh, mental health, your grief, your issues, whatever is going on, because sometimes the best thing that you need to understand other people is to understand yourself. To empathize or sympathize with people's struggles is to understand how you would feel if the situation were to reach your own door. And sometimes like that's as close to empathy as a lot of people will get. You don't need to like sometimes you don't need to experience the same kind of loss or the same kind of struggle to be someone's helping like helping hand. Sometimes all you need to do is like, hey, I can only imagine what you're going through, but I am here whatever you need. And we just need I think we just need more of that because it does take a village. It takes a community. And we're gonna get better for it. Definitely. Jeff. Yeah, that was that was all good. That was that was great. Um I I say this a lot. Um realize that the way that you were brought up is not the only way and the right way to think and live. I think that's where a lot of disagreements come in is because, you know, and there's nothing wrong with getting your own sense of morality and everything, which is great in your own sense of being. But when someone does something that you wouldn't do, that doesn't make them a bad person. And you need to take those steps of empathy or if you go through that experience, you know, to understand where people are coming from. And all it takes to start that is just a conversation. Talk with people and talk with people that are not, you know, in the same economic status, political affiliation, you know, religious background. Talk to any and everybody. And that is the start and the stepping stone to getting together, building together and having that community and that village that we talked about. Definitely. Mm-hmm. This has definitely been a really good, really good after hours episode. You know, I really appreciate you guys, you know, appreciate you, Aaron, for, for being our guest. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, like I said, just reach out. You never know what resources may come your way, what opportunities come your way, but just, you know, like Jeff said, just starting a conversation. So we want to thank, you know, thank all the squares. Thank everybody for tuning in to this episode, man. You know, make sure you guys, you know, like, share, uh, subscribe to all of our channels, subscribe to all of our platforms, um, you know, follow Aaron if y'all want to, <laughs> um, you know, but we appreciate you guys as always. Um, you know, make sure as you always, share with your sneaky links and entanglements as well. Sneaky links, entanglements, all, all that, all that juicy stuff. And, uh, <laughs> you know, y'all say square out there. We'll, uh, look forward to, Chiming in with y'all next time until another installment of Foursquare Presents After Hours. So we'll see y'all next time. Peace, guys. Peace. Peace. Good time. Good stuff. All right.